Quick disclaimer, the hosts of this podcast, Matt, Joey, and I are not mental health experts. We are not licensed or certified in any way. We may share our personal experiences and we may mention the medications we're taking, but we are not offering medical solutions or advice. We may discuss some very heavy topics, including suicide. If you're struggling with a mental illness or if you're having suicidal thoughts in any way, please seek professional help. If you're having an immediate crisis here in America, you can dial 988 to reach the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Hey guys, thanks for joining us on this podcast. This is episode one. We're starting. This is a thing. We got it up on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play and all of that stuff. And Shane, Joey, and I just text each other and we were like, well, this is happening. And I did wake up the next day and I was like, what have I done? This is, I'm so scared right now. Um, but no, so if you haven't listened to episode zero, go ahead and pop over there and listen to that. Cause there, there's some information in there that kind of sets us up as far as like what our conditions are, our illnesses are. So I highly recommend popping in over there, but my name is Matt and I currently live in Nashville, Tennessee. I've been in Nashville for about 20 years now. I've known these guys forever, uh, back in maybe elementary school, middle school with Joey. And then I met. Shane, when we were around driving age, 15, 16, and uh, man, it's been a journey with these guys, and I absolutely love them, and I am so excited for you guys just to to hear these guys' stories um, and just to figure these guys out, because I'm still trying to. Uh, does that mean I'm going to finally figure myself out, too? I don't know, Joey. Maybe by season three. You might have yourself figured out by season three. Uh, is it my turn? Hey, guys, I'm Shane. And I've known these guys, well, I guess Matt just told you that. I've known them since high school. My band used to play with their band, and we would hang out outside of shows, during shows. Just had a ton of fun with these guys. I was also a little obsessed with their band because I really loved it. And now I live in Nashville, and I've somehow made a career out of playing drums, so I'm still doing that. Hey, everybody, this is Joey, and... um like Matt said, we've known each other for a long time, and Shane almost almost as long. And I think I've been in probably eight different bands with Matt. I don't even know. Are um, you counting but, ones that had one practice, or are we just talking about the ones that had like more than one practice? No, they're definitely. There's definitely one that comes to mind that was that we literally only practiced maybe three times there was never a concert and those three times <laughs> I three, can only different, three different drummers in the three different practices three different drummers <laughs> Well, guys, before we pop into episode one, number one, it's an amazing episode. We dive into our struggles a little bit, kind of leading up to where we are uh, recent. Uh, we didn't really kind of bring it up to today, but uh, a lot was shared. We grew a lot with each other, even like we heard a lot of things that we didn't even know existed between us and uh, ourselves. And so this is a really great episode, lays out the foundation of where we are, and I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Now, I will say this, we are doing eight episode seasons, so it might only be season one. We're going to see after the eighth episode, after season one is done, and we're going to be like, are, do we have anything else to talk about? And if we do, 
let's do it. Let's go. But for right now, we're going to do eight episodes in season one. So I want you guys to be aware of that. You can go to heavymentalpodcast.com and you can sign up for our email list there. Definitely go and check that out. And also subscribe to us on all of the podcast platforms and share it with others. That's the big message here is that you just never know. I'm getting texts already and I just shared it with Joey and Shane. And I sent the text and I said, guys, this is already worth it. One simple text message back from someone that I let listen to episode one a little early. And I'm just blown away. I'm excited for you guys to hear this episode, to dive in with us. Let's do this. Guys, we've been on a heck of a journey, uh, not only alone, but together as we've kind of rekindled a friendship that's been united under mental health. And uh, we just figured, you know what, I think we've got some unique things to explain and some like advocacy for mental health and just kind of the understanding of that. I, I saw this as an opportunity to bring a more casual approach, more casual conversation so that you guys listening can, you know, develop a, a an understanding of mental health in general, but also like in particular on the bipolar, manic, and depression side of things. I have bipolar disorder, Shane has bipolar disorder, and Joey is clinically depressed. And so those are the things that we can speak into as far as what our personal experiences are. So I just want to lay that out there in every episode. You know, what we say is not necessarily, you know, stamp of approval, approval for a doctor. It's just not. Um, our approach is a little bit different and we hope you get a lot of really great things from that approach. Um, I'm very excited about it. Joey and Shane, you know, we've, we've talked for a long time about what this looks like and do we do this? Do we not? And so I I think we've come at it in an approach that seems humanized a little bit more, definitely approachable. I think we're going to come at it with a little bit of humility. I, I, a lot of things are going to be tough to talk about all of that to say, I'm very excited to hang out with you guys, Joey, Shane. I mean, we've, we've talked a while. We've made some music together recently. All of that kind of led up to where we are today. Joey, why don't you just share kind of like the, the beginning story leading up to you being diagnosed clinically depressed? Yeah. So let's see, what year was this? 2000 and. I think 12, I was living in Nicaragua full time working for a nonprofit. And I think a lot of people listening could probably relate to the term burnout. So I think basically what I had, what had happened to me and the place that I was at, I was, I was just so burnout just from not taking a break and not taking care of myself. It got to the point where it was so bad where I would have just immense responsibilities, just big responsibilities that affect a lot of people. And there was a morning when I woke up and I I could care less about all those things. And usually I would wake up and I'd think in the middle of the night, oh, I got to do this. I got to remember to do this. But on that day when I woke up and I said, I don't care, that's when I, I think, accepted that 
I need to talk to someone and see if there's something going on that's more than like, hey, why don't you get some fresh air or go for a walk, you know, because I think I've tried all that at this point. But do you think you were feeling apathy or was it was it a quick switch? I mean, the day before were you fired up and then when I reached a point that was the sort of the last straw that 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 broke the camel's back. Yeah, I was going to say Joey like I I grew up with you. You're one of the one of the longest friendships I've ever had. I think you were 11 when I first met you. I remember, you know, when we were in a band back together and we also worked at the same job as well. I I remember you going into pretty big funks. I mean, I visually remember you behind the counter um, when we worked in retail together and you were just staring off into space, could not care one second about anything or anybody in that moment. And it really rubbed me. Like at first I was like, what the heck, you know, like Joey, just can you not smile? Like what the heck is wrong? And our boss, our manager at the time, I was like, do you think Joey's okay? Like, look at him. Like he's just, he, he just looks not disheveled, but just, I mean, depressed. Like you look depressed and there was a lot of things going on in your life at that time. You know, you were dealing with some family issues, some separation there. And, you know, you had a girlfriend at a time that I think was, you know, off and on again and stuff like that. I know you were going through a lot. What age was this? Golly, what was that, like 19, 20, 21? 19, 20, yeah. Yeah, Somewhere in there. And the manager actually was just like, we just need to love him. I don't know what that looks like, but I already love Joey. So if I already love Joey, then I want the best for you. And so I do remember that. And I remember, you know, some other various times where I did visually see you struggling. You know, and I know you had mentioned 2012, and I'm just sitting here thinking, I'm like, man, He's been dealing with this for a while it, in my eyes, but I don't know. Like what prior to 2012, you said that was your last straw in 2012, but like, was there anything kind of leading up to that that you remember? Well, yeah, I mean, you said it, I think back in, you know, when I was 19, my parents got divorced and the, my view of the world changed pretty significantly. Like, I think I grew up and saw the dark side of the world. I came out of my parents' roof and then it was gone. And then there was no, there was nothing that I remembered. And so that I I remember you writing a song and one of the lyrics in the song was drive that blue boat out of here. You left me alone for another year. You and your brother were so close. Like y'all were, I mean, same friend group. Blue boat being a, uh, 1987, yeah, a big old blue car that we <laughs> called a boat. Mass. I thought it was a Volvo. Oh, man. We've, there's a Volvo in there, too. Yeah. yeah. At, the, at this particular time, Mike was driving, my brother Mike was driving a big blue boat. And that's, yeah, you're right, Matt. I was like, it was the, that was the beginning of all of it, you know, when I really, you know, but, but 2012 was when I find the straw broke the camel's back and I was laying in my bed and I thought, okay, I'm not scared to say it now. I think I'm depressed. Like, can someone hear me if I say this? And I remember thinking I'm going to sound crazy. And I was very, I I was so convinced and I knew something was just kind of, you know, loneliness, man, like loneliness is a friend of mine. (laughs) 
anybody knows what that means and knows what that feels like. I think a lot of people probably do, but I thought that, and I still kind of am there sometimes too, but yeah, 2012 was when I, um, was when I realized I need to say this out loud and see if anybody can tell me with what I'm saying makes any sense or if, or if I just need to go for a walk, you know? <laughs> Did you feel alone even when you were with friends and family? Was it, is it a loneliness? Oh yeah. Because I, mentally I would, I would separate myself because of my past. I think I would think about I'm shameful. I don't fully belong here. That kind of thing. Right. Um, for a long time. And so that was part of it. But yeah, I could be, I could be with lots of people and just, and feel alone Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Do you feel like you could compartmentalize it early on or, or was this something that you just could not shake even in different scenarios with different people? I I think that kind of holds hands with what Shane said, you know, around family and friends, because I'm able to compartmentalize very well in different scenarios and situations. And, you know, some friend groups might think I'm doing great. The ones that I'm vulnerable with, I feel the freedom to tell them like what's really going on. Was that kind of your mindset during that time? I'm assuming you didn't, you know, come out of your hut in Nicaragua and say, Hey everybody, I'm depressed. You know, (laughs) first of all, I didn't live in a hut, but I definitely slept in a hut a few times. Like you said, will anybody listen? Did did you did you let anybody hear it? Yeah. So I, I basically told my boss, um, hey, we gotta talk today. Need to talk to you as soon as possible. And that's not something that I would do, you know. So he came and sat with me and I told him, Hey, if I if 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 I can't take a break, if if I don't leave here and just just like a one-way ticket to, to fix what's going on. If you don't let me do that, then I'm going to leave. Cause I don't, this morning I've never felt like that. And I, I need to see, I need to get some help, but yeah, the support system there was, was incredible. And my employer, not only did I feel like I could say that, but you know, they walked with me hand in hand through that and, supported me through it and just everything they could, you know, because yeah. So I had a great community around me, but still nobody was really talking about being depressed. You know, it was still kind of, if I were to say, guys, I'm depressed. It, I, th- I feel like I would have been at least then from my perspective, I would have been um, like a little bit taboo. I remember using the word depressed, like as just kind of a nonchalant way to say like, yeah, I'm having a funky day today. Oh, that's so common in our society. People say, people use the words mania and depression, like happy and sad. They just kind of use it interchangeably. Yeah. When did you seek medical help? You were like, okay, I can't necessarily shake this out. Sort of immediately following that, I went to a doctor and a couple weeks later and got blood work done and all that. There was no medication. It was, it was just like, let's just, let's talk to a therapist. Let's make sure you're taking care of yourself because I wasn't, you know, I was just running myself ragged, drinking, uh, you know, several times a week, alcohol. And so that stuff heavily contributed to me sort of breaking at that point. But well, it's like a band aid, right? It's a, it's a temporary fix. It has long term 
repercussions. You know, when, when you bury things like that, it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. And so I, you know, I've made a treatment plan to begin with. It was like, I had four things I was going to do. I was going to make sure I had eight hours of sleep every night. I was going to make sure that I, I can't even remember them. I have them written down in a journal somewhere. Well, there was therapy and exercise. Right. It was like, I'm this, I'm going to, I got a plan. There was no medication. And so I thought, okay, this is the plan and I'll get, you know, better or I'll feel better. And, you know, it just never happened and I just accepted it. Did you have a formal diagnosis at this point? No, I didn't have a formal. Yes, I did actually. Yes, I did. Yeah. Or they didn't want to introduce medication quite yet. They probably wanted to see, hey, let's get this guy as healthy as he possibly can and then reassess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. All right, Shane, dude, I need to know, man, like what you were diagnosed earlier, right? Like earlier on. I was diagnosed with clinical depression. Well, actually a major depressive disorder. I was diagnosed with that first. I think that was in, I want to say 2017 or 2018 is when I started seeing a psychiatrist for the first time. I think maybe I'm a little different from you guys because I knew very young, probably 15 or 16, maybe even younger, that I shouldn't be as sad as I was because there wasn't really anything happening in my life that would cause that. Dude, outside looking in, it looked like you were having a blast, man. Well, dude, my so my mom has pretty bad anxiety. I'm realizing, you know, as I get older and as she gets older, and she is so good at masking it, nobody would ever know. And I think I just learned that from her. I learned how to hide it because I didn't, and I'm still in this way, you know, unless I'm talking to a really close friend and, and we're specifically talking about how I'm feeling, I can hide it so well, man, because I've had to, I don't want to be a downer. We all, you know, I know plenty of people who suffer from depression and they, they're not able to socialize because they can't, like you said, compartmentalize things. Yeah. I'll take the card on that one. Everything's on my sleeve. <laughs> I knew that there was something wrong. I knew I was super sad. I'm sure I told my closest friends. I, I had one friend in particular who also struggled with depression. And so we were kind of each other's shoulders during that time. But I think he was really the only person that knew. And and so if I'm talking about my history, I do have to talk about suicide and suicidal thoughts. The first suicidal ideation I had was probably around 15. I just wanted to die. I I was just, it it wasn't any one thing. It was just, I just felt so bad all the time. And even when I was acting like I was happy, I wasn't. Was was there panic in that? Like, were you, you you know, was there a side effect to that, that you were like, I'm, I'm not right. How did you know? Or is it just more internalized? I knew. I, I, I've always been like a a researcher, you know, so when I started to feel these these feelings, I hopped on the internet and I started reading other people's stories and I basically self-diagnosed with depression. Um at the time, and it wasn't until 20 years later that I got a a bipolar diagnosis. And so before that, it was just, you know, because so I have bipolar type 2 which means that I'm mostly depressed. And when I am depressed, it's really bad. Uh, I always go to suicidal thoughts. Um, but when I'm hypomanic, I, I, you know what? I, I've been diagnosed now for five, six years. 
I still have a really hard time determining if I'm hypomanic or if I'm just happy because they both feel very similar. If I go hypomanic, kind of my warning signs are like, I'm spending too much money or maybe I'm over socializing or not sleeping well enough. But I just, you know, you feel, I hate to say it, but you feel good when you're in that state. Relationships are are easier and socializing is easier. So I would go through cycles where I would be super depressed and I would either hole up in my room and just not want to talk to anybody, just avoid people because I didn't want to be a downer. Or when I would come out of it, I'd feel great. And, you know, those are when you said, Matt, that that it seemed like I was having a good time. I, I really kind of only came out of my shell when I was having a good time. So that was the shame that everybody else saw was, you know, social, funny, happy, always ready to hang. You know, that that was kind of the the shame that everybody else saw. But inside it was it was getting pretty bad. So I mean that was that was my perspective of you. I and I, I feel like Joey would probably say the same. Yeah. I, I really think it was my yeah. it was that one friend that, that I was really able to open up to. And he and I are still very close friends. I mean, he's one of my best friends twenty five years later. You know, because we really bonded over that, man. I mean, so many of my close friends I I've been very fortunate in the friend department. I have a lot of really good close friends who I can open up to. And that's just survival for me, man. I mean, I've got to have people that know what is going on with me. And when things get bad, I need people that I can talk to about it. Yeah. You and I were talking right after I got diagnosed and, and you said, oh man, bipolar people, like they, they overshare. Yeah, that's a it's, that's a feature. That's a feature. Oversharing. And dude, I've overshared like half my life. Like and and that's and that's totally kind of going along with what you said. Like I overshare because I want people to know. I cannot hold on to something and keep something secret. It doesn't help me. I just went on this like apology tour here recently and went back to my hometown and saw like two people that I have not seen in 20 years and said, Hey, remember that one time, like this really affected me. I know I did you wrong. And I'm, I just want to tell you that I'm really sorry. And that's just part of me having to be known. I hope and dream just to be known. Like that's what I cling to a lot of times and doesn't necessarily have to be a really close friend for me. Oh dude, I can go deep with somebody at the mall, like a stranger. I mean, if you crack the window open for me to talk about this stuff, we're going deep. Like like I said, I have a lot of close friends. I kind of feel like I don't need any more. So if I am <laughs> if I am going to talk to somebody new, I don't like these superficial, you know, getting to know you conversations. Like I want to go deep with somebody to to really know who they are. It's funny you say that because we hadn't seen each other for ten years, and we finally <laughs> made it happen to hang out. And literally, you come outside to let me in in your apartment. First time we've seen each other in forever. Yeah, For forever, at least ten years. Yeah, at least. And you were like, "Hey, man, how's it going, dude? How, how's everything been?" I was like, "Well, uh, I found out I have uh, bipolar disorder." And he goes, "And and, and Shay goes, <laughs> literally the first thing, literally the first sentence." That's funny. You described like the how you would, <laughs> and then Matt actually did that right. He, like, yeah, right. <laughs> He opened the floodgates and like, all right, we're doing this. Dude, I do. And like, and sometimes it's not appropriate for me to do that. I understand that. 
Well, man, I mean, you know, if I if I didn't also have bipolar, I mean, my first reaction when you did that was I thought somebody had told you that I had bipolar. My first thought was like, who told Matt that I have bipolar? Like, why are we getting into this in the first sentence? But it was so natural and we just flowed right into it. It was like, you told me that. And then I was like, dude, I have bipolar too. And, it, and we just went, that was the whole rest of the, the evening. I'm sure it was just us talking mental health stuff. It was, man. It was, and honestly, I learned more in that small window of time that I was with you about probably eight hours my doctors gave me information or, you know, I mean, like when you go online and you just start typing in very general things, like, yeah, you can get an overview of, of what it is, but it's not the, the relation and like finding someone. And, and this is why I love this podcast uh, potential here is that, you know, to find somebody that you relate to and that you feel like you can, man, dude, that is totally me. Like, how did you handle that? Like, how did you, you know, come at it at that angle? What successful things did you implement to find that out or, or to grow from? It was a pretty monumental hang for me that day. I mean, there was no 10 years, dude. It was no, it didn't, it didn't even feel like it. Oh yeah. It was, we just picked right up where we left off. You know, you really grew up together and got close when that's the case, because that's happened with me a few times. People who I've just lost touch with for 15 years, and then we just pick up right where we left off. Yeah. And do that in, in our, well, not in our generation, but in, you know, the age that we are now, you know, when you're going through things and you're focused on your career, you're focused on your family and stuff like that. A lot of friendships just naturally kind of part ways in the way that you used to know them. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I got married, I like picked my closest friends, you know, did, did you guys feel that way when you got married? Was it kind of, you had to pick your bachelors or whatever. And it was, and then you really had to think about like, okay, who am I, who's, who are going to be my bachelors? Like who are my absolute closest friends that I want in my wedding? And the seven people that I picked were all people who I have gone through hell with, honestly, people who, I know everything there is to know about them and they know everything there is to know about me. We've gone so deep. I need that. Like for me, for me to consider somebody a, a close friend, I really need to have gone into the depths, you know, well, what in the world is a close friend if you can't do that? Exactly. Like, what are people doing? But dude, Seriously. there's so many people that don't have that. I mean, most people don't have that, which I'm just like, are, but everybody are we not convinced that most of the world or most of the United States, everybody deals with something they need to share, something they're struggling with, whether it's mental health or not? It's like people, we need this. You know right. what I mean? And that's why therapy has become so popular, I think, because, and don't get me wrong, I fully support therapy. I think it's really important. But I think a lot of people that do therapy, that's their only outlet to be able to talk about some of this stuff. You know, they don't have anybody else in their life. Dude, a hundred percent. And the, the people that I see in my life that are like that, that don't have friendships and I just see them, dude, it, it's so easy to see sometimes of just th their mentality or their approach to things, or they're so quick to, you know, snap and, and be aggressive and all this other stuff. Yeah. Like they're just harboring all this resentment and they don't have anybody to let it out with. And so, right. you know, and so you've got those people and then you've got those people that 
go into therapy. And then now there's this deeper friendship esque situation going on, even though, you know, I, they're not necessarily a friend. You're experiencing a friendship in the way that you are communicating, in the way that you are explaining or being vulnerable to somebody. Right. That's kind of where that gray line of friendship and therapy comes in. But some people don't have that. Like we are lucky. See, that's crazy to me. That's crazy to me that people don't have someone they can just be like, Hey man, I don't know what in the heck I'm going to do. Like people don't have, that's crazy to me. Like, how are you surviving? Dude, I'm, I'm related to someone very close that is, is like that. And I just, I feel for him. I, I do. And I've actually brought up therapy to them. What are we playing around for? You know what I mean? Like it's, I don't not saying everybody who doesn't have that is playing around, but it's like, I guess after having walked through, it's like, I've realized, at least from my perspective, life is short enough to like, like you said, Shane, if I'm going to meet somebody new, I'm looking for that. And I'm listening for that window of vulnerability to jump right in and be like, Oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Like let's really get to know each other. You know, I don't, uh, you know, I'm I'm interested where you're from and what your favorite movies are, but I'm more interested in like the darkness, honestly, for me, because my thoughts since puberty have been so dark at times that I really look for that in people, so that I can. Re- it's it's almost like how I re- how I truly relate to people. I mean, I feel like I can get along with anybody and I can find common ground with anybody, but what is the most interesting to me is how do you get through those dark times? Or do you even have dark times? Because, you know, there's some people that like somehow really don't. I mean, there are some people that don't have that darkness in them. And those are the people that I'm jealous of, but I also can't really relate to. Do you guys feel that way? To feel really close with somebody, you know? I'd- no, I feel like, uh, you know, if I th- I'm, I'm like... Does anybody else feel like they're going crazy? Right. And if nobody else can, like, if you don't have people you can say that to, and my, from my perspective, it's like, find someone. Let Find some. You need that. You need to have somebody that you can just, because you can have fun. It's not about, like, we can't have fun and, you know, we can talk about serious stuff because you got, you know, you guys had a blast for those eight hours that you were with each other the whole time you were talking about serious stuff. Oh, so cathartic. You need somebody who, you can at least say, am I going crazy? And they can be like, I don't know. You know, I've thought that too. And then you're like, crack up for a half hour. It's like, you really just, you know, you don't, it's not that you're having to talk about how depressed you are for eight hours straight, but it's just knowing that that person is not going to judge you. And they know that you're going through a lot, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, in that moment that Shane and I were hanging out, um, after we had, you know, full disclosures, I just felt very close to Shane in a way that I hadn't had before, you know, when our friendship first started. Yeah. And that's exactly what I mean. When you bond over that type of stuff, there's nothing wrong with a lighthearted, superficial relationship, but I need to be able to go deeper with people. So to wrap up how I got to a diagnosis, I guess. I had a really great support system. There were a lot of people that knew what I was going through, but I didn't have a lot of people who were also going through the same thing. So for me, it's really important, and I still do this, to find communities full of people who I can totally relate to on that level. So I'm super active in like the Bipolar subreddit, Bipolar 2 subreddit. Uh, There's a Suicide Watch subreddit that gets really heavy. Here and there, if I read somebody's story, I think I can help, then I 
you know, I'll, I'll comment on it and I'll, and I'll try to help. And sometimes I'll get into a chat with somebody just to talk them off the ledge, literally. So I, yeah, I need all that. I have found that sharing, like sharing my experience or knowledge base that I've acquired during this process, like I, I, I find it therapeutic for me personally. Is that kind of what helping people and, you know, giving your take on certain things? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, even if I'm just reading other people's stories, there's something to be said about just being able to relate to somebody that, I mean, you know, I, we just did this yesterday, right? I found a, a Reddit post and I sent you a screenshot, Matt, of <laughs> a post that I was like, dude, yeah. like, this is exactly how you describe what you go through. Yes. And I read that we both have bipolar, but Matt's got bipolar one. I have bipolar two. So Matt gets manic, which I don't. And I get like severely suicidally depressed, which Matt, I don't think you might dip down and you might've dipped down in there one. one there's, there's been times, some dark but. times for sure, but I would say 95% I'm either. Well, honestly, my psych psychiatrist thinks that I kind of live on the spectrum of hypomania mm -hmm. um, kind of consistently. And then, you know, I'll have really big episodes, but then when that kind of you crash wa wave happens. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like a, a chart or a heartbeat or whatever you want to call it. Like I, I do have those dips and sometimes, you know, when I get extreme mania or hyperactive mania or something like that, I get, I get worried. I get, I get scared. Like I'm like, where is this headed? I know where it's headed before, mm -hmm. you know, changed my life. It made me wake up and be like, I, I, I need help. Like I, I need a lot of help. And I mean, hi hypomania, man, coming out of depression into hypomania, it's just I, like, I'm like, even if I know I'm hypomanic, I don't care because I felt so bad before it cycled back up. I was going to say, that sounds so nice. Yeah. Oh, dude, it, is, it really is, man. But then there's other problems that come along with that, you know? Like, it's almost like a drug. It, well, mania, full mania, they, they say the closest comparison feeling to mania is meth. So... I've only experienced mania once for like six months when I tried Prozac, which was actually part of my bipolar diagnosis. Uh, if Prozac makes you manic, specifically that drug, that's one uh, like indicator. Yeah. Indicator. Thank you of bipolar. So dude, that six months, man, like Matt, I just, that's, that's the only way that that time is the only time that I can really relate to how I think you feel when you get manic, but it was nuts like it was i was just i didn't sleep i lost like dude i got down to like 138 pounds like i'm five foot 11 i was just like my ribs were sticking out wasn't sleeping all i could do was socialize didn't give a crap about work i mean started just turning down jobs left and right and all i wanted to do was just have a good time spend a bunch of money well you don't want to spend a bunch of money you just do it. You just do it. You don't even think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you're coming out of like, what on God's green earth just happened? And sometimes you don't even remember it. Some of the things that I did, like, you know, like pulling from savings to, you know, invest in the stock market or something like that, because I know it was, it was going to be a for sure thing. Like, I, I don't remember this transaction necessarily. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's, and it's just, it's just wild because you're so, or at least for me, I'm so up 
and everything that I know and say is genius, like there's a lot of things that I just don't pay attention to. Yeah. You know, like it ends there. It's like, this is a sure thing. I need to put my money in this. Boom. And then I look at it two weeks ago and I'm like, why, like, why is, why, I threw $4,000 into this and I have a, a credit card bill due. Like what on God's green earth just happened? And before you were diagnosed, you probably were just like, what, you know, what was I thinking? But you didn't think that there was no necessarily a problem. You were like, you were like, ah, I just got a little amped up one day and bought too much stuff online. But yeah, it's, it's not until after you get your diagnosis that you start really analyzing stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And I mean, the podcast that I'm a part of, it's called The Podcast, and it's a podcast about whiskey. And so I obviously enjoy whiskey. I have for a very long time. And there was a period where I was drinking pretty heavily. And that really kind of made me think that that was the issue of the lack of memory of doing certain things or, you know, or just these charismatic, you know, thoughts that are going on. I'm also, you know, getting older and, you know, people say with age comes wisdom. And, you know, so I'm sitting there thinking like, am I just getting wiser? Like, yeah. Am I seeing things differently? But the more time you live, the the more opportunity you have to analyze patterns, because with bipolar, that's really all it is, is you've got these indicators of like, okay, I'm going down. I'm going down into depression. I remember what this feels like. I, this has happened to me a hundred times in my life. But it's not, I think it's not until you get your diagnosis and after you've kind of thought things through and like looked back on your life and found those patterns, you know, you kind of need to do that yeah, to really be able to help yourself and, and get healthy. So, so, so when you were diagnosed officially and you saw a psychiatrist, Shane, kind of like, what was the initial, like, here's what we're going to do, you know, the whole, like improving your, yourself and prior to meds or anything. Yeah. So just, just to just to try to give a quick run up to that. I had, like I said, I had those feelings in high school, uh, in my early twenties. I remember there was this one time in particular, everything was going right, man. Like everything I had ever wanted as a kid, I moved to LA. I was getting paid pretty well. I was living in a mansion and, uh, <laughs> I was living in a mansion with, a with the, I wish I felt like I could say whose it was. I don't know if I should. No, we shouldn't say who it is. But just say who just, you partied with one time. Just drop. Oh something. man, I've got oh God. That, that we'll have to save that for another episode because I got too many stories about like that. But yeah, anyway, just everything was going my way. Uh, I I was getting everything I ever wanted. I was I was achieving all these goals so fast. I mean, you know, I was twenty years old, and I'm already like, dude, I've I've done this and this and that, and you know, this is awesome. Already toured the country. Already done a lot of stuff that I wanted to do. And there was a, a time, it was like the middle of the night, because I'm, I'm a night owl. I go to bed like at 4 a.m. and wake up at noon my entire life. You know, now that I think about it, somebody's probably going to have a problem with that and say that that might be part of my problem. But but <laughs> no, you definitely have, get eight hours of sleep. Shane. I get eight hours of sleep. You've never you've never considered that 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 was a problem that that contributed to your mental health. Did it, you? What's interesting is one of the drugs that I got on after I uh, got diagnosed with bipolar. It actually fixed my sleep schedule for a little while. And it's because they they prescribed that same drug for delayed. What is it called? delayed sleep onset syndrome. So that's, I think that's just what I've had my whole life. Cause I always fall back into that sleep whenever you want to Yeah, sleep when you want. So yeah. So there was one night, everything was going my way and it was the middle of the night. Everybody else in the house was asleep and I was in the kitchen and 
you know, getting a snack. And all of a sudden I just broke down, like crying uncontrollably. And I was just like, I cannot do life anymore. Like this is as much as I can take. I am done. And that was, that was kind of like the first time I had had like suicidal thoughts, but that was like the first time that I really kind of started to put plans together. Like I was like, okay, if I were going to do that, how would I do it? You know? And I, and that lasted for honestly, man, like, I mean, that, that was an acute moment where I felt really terrible for like a night. And then I kind of pulled out of it the next day, not entirely, but enough to, you know, be able to get through life and talk to people and have them have no idea that that was going on. That same instance where everything's great, but I, but I just sink into this horrible suicidal depression. That happened probably a dozen times leading up to finally getting diagnosed. Like I said, I was diagnosed major depressive disorder. We tried every antidepressant that there is, man. I mean, not literally, but I, no exaggeration over the course of two years, I bet I tried 25 antidepressants. And man. none of them helped. Some of them made me way worse. So I, when you're trying meds, it's really important to like keep that in mind. Okay, this could actually make me worse. So mm-hmm. if I sink down, then you got to remind yourself that you're trying these meds. But it wasn't until 2020 when I made a legit suicide attempt and I was interrupted and I was... Uh, committed to a mental hospital involuntarily. That's a whole nother story, man. Once a, a week of that was over, found a new psychiatrist. And finally, for the first time, a psychiatrist was like, you know, maybe it's not just depression, considering you've tried 25 drugs and none of them have helped you. So let's start looking at other illnesses. And that's when she thought, you know, thought of bipolar, thought that maybe Maybe we should explore drugs that treat that. And man, the first drug I got on, Lamictal, which I probably shouldn't even say that because drugs treat everybody. So everybody reacts to drugs differently. So I don't want anybody to think that like Lamictal is just going to fix it. Yeah, well, your success story was that one in, in particular. It was that drug that I got on it. And within a couple of weeks, for the first time since I was 13, I was able to be happy. Like... I I was able to feel some amount of joy. Like I would go out, you know, with friends or whatever, go out to a restaurant and I could actually enjoy it for the first time in a really long time. I mean, dude, before I went to the hospital, I was having these, I I had not ever cried from age probably seven until like 34. And then all of a sudden it was just like machine gun sobbing every day for months leading up to the hospital stay totally uncontrollable, like nothing I could do. Just anything would set me off on the verge of tears, crying all the time and, uh, got on that drug and, and just pulled out of that tailspin. And, you know, there was still another couple of years of, of trying different combinations of meds, but all that to say, my diagnosis was very positive for me. Like I, I didn't have these feelings when I got diagnosed of like shame or anything like that. I was just glad to finally find something that helped. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have the same experience when I kind of, well, I should probably just well, start. Let, yeah. You just start from the beginning, man. Cause Joey and I, we, yeah, we our stuff. I was struggling with like my attention. I was struggling with memory and I, and I just didn't feel great. And so I went to go see my pr- primary care doctor 
And, you know, and, and we, in the discussion or whatever, you know, he was like, man, this really sounds like ADD. You know, have you ever thought that you might be ADD? And I was like, my entire life for sure. <laughs> and he was like, okay. I was like, well, let me, let me just, let me get you something that, that can help that, you know, let's just see, you know, how, how you, how you deal with that. So I walked out of there with a prescription for Vivance. First drug you tried. Right? Yeah. Which is uh, an amphetamine and it's a stimulant. I took that medication and I was in the stars. I was, I was right about everything. I had these massive base baseline, like the things that I thought were my concrete ideals or like philosophies or religious beliefs were all just kind of upended in that moment. Like I started thinking like, I've got this figured out. I know what's going on. Um, you know, I, I started drafting up two different books. Um, I'm on the beach. I'm, I'm writing out all of these chapters and everything about what I wanted to talk about. I actually talked to someone about ghostwriting it for me because I'm not a great writer. Like all of this, and this is happening, you know, within a week, you know, of me taking Vivance. And um, did you, did you put that together? Because I've tried so many meds where you just, it, you're so in the moment that you forget that like you're trying a med, you know, did you put that together or were you just, did you just feel like you were on top of the world? No, dude, I, I thought it was working. Oh my gosh. I have this medication. I feel great. It's working. Yeah. Why right. would you think? Yeah. I wouldn't think anything was wrong either. That's how I felt about Prozac. Yeah. yeah I didn't have any concept of mental health at that point. Right. I was like, my mental health concept for others was any kind of mental illness, you're crazy. And I have obviously grown out of that mentality um, but I know so many people in this world have not, you know, going through all of that. I, I, I basically had like two pills left and my co-host of the podcast, he said, he used the words, I think you're manic. And I was, and I didn't know necessarily what that word really meant. I, I, I put it in the crazy category, like uncontrollable craziness, essentially. That's kind of what I, I thought about. And so I took offense to it. I was very mad. I was upset by the words that he used so flippantly. And my wife was nearby and I told her what he said. And, you know, she kind of was like, that's, that's, that's interesting. Hmm. I'm going to, I'll think about that. She's an RN. She's a nurse. She's, you know, uh, well-versed in, you know, stuff like medications and treatments and d diseases and, all this, all this stuff. So she's kind of my go-to. Well, she saw how upset I was and she felt like she couldn't in that moment talk to me about it really and be objective. Because you were already upset, right? She didn't want to rub salt in the wound. Exactly. So I remember the next day I come home from work and, um, and she very tenderly comes up to me and, and she, and by the way, my wife is, an absolute, just amazing person. I've actually, through mental illness, I've actually come to know that better. She is my, you know, my safe place in so many different ways. That's so great, man. Oh, dude, it, she, she's, an, she's an incredible woman. 
And, um, I, and I'm so fortunate. Um, pinching myself uh, would not be the way I would describe that. It's, it's pretty, it's a lot more than that. But she very tenderly came up to me and she said, babe, I just want to read you the definition of mania or being manic. And I said, okay, you can do that because I don't necessarily know. I didn't look it up online. I didn't read the definition. I was just pissed. Like, you know, cause I knew, I knew what it was. So I'm like, Oh, you think I'm crazy. I have all these great ideas and, and you're in my way of not understanding me. So I'm not going to include you. I'm going to move around you. I'm still going to accomplish my goal without you. Right. And that's really hard to do when you're in a partnership with somebody, especially like in a business or in a creative outlet or anything like that. It, it's not, it, it doesn't bode well to, uh, to maneuver around somebody. So, and so I was like, yes, I'll let you read me the definition. And I mean, guys, 99.9% of what she read me, I, I could not help but just laugh. Like, that's all I could do. I said, I mean, all the way into the examples of writing books or having these, you know, ground shattering. Just very specific. Yeah, You laughed because you immediately knew you had mania or you were in mania yeah and you're like okay okay you're like surrendering with your laugh kind of yeah yeah pretty pretty much so right after that i had i had language to use and so immediately after that conversation i made an appointment with my primary care physician and i go in there and i'm telling and i and i just say hey my my friend and my wife have brought up that I, I have been manic on while taking this medication. I don't understand it. I don't think it's the medication because, you know, I'm like, I'm naive at this point. I was like, I don't think it's the med- medication. The medication makes me feel great. Like, but she read me the definition and I literally checked almost every box of this thing and I couldn't help but to laugh. And he goes, he goes, okay. Um, so, I'm going to be honest with you. The reaction that you are having to this medication is a sign of bipolar disorder. Okay. Interesting. Just like Prozac. Yeah. And he said, this is above my pay grade and I'm, and I'm going to need to refer you to a psychiatrist. Good for him, man. That's a good doctor right there. Cause my doctor just about killed me. (laughs) Yeah. And I think a lot of doctors do. Yeah, man. That's, that's a good doctor. That's interesting. You say that because I've harbored like so much like anger that he would prescribe me something like that, you know, like something crazy like Vyvanse. Cause I mean, I've read up on it and it's pretty power. It's very powerful. It's not like a, Hey, I'm going to introduce this drug to you for ADD. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you feel like he prescribed it. Just, you already used the word flippantly. I like that yeah. word. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was very flippant, but So I removed myself from that. And now not only have I related to this word called mania, now someone is telling me that I could have bipolar disorder. And my perception or, or, you know, my, my, my self image at that point was every time I, in my younger years, like when I thought someone was acting crazy or super moody or 
raged, I would say, you know, oh my gosh, that person's bipolar. Like naively saying that, like that is not anything I would say right now. You know, I wouldn't say somebody to somebody, Hey man, you need to take your meds. Like, and, and I would, I, I would do that without even knowing if they're diagnosed with anything. Right. Like I, I would just see them being ridiculous or, you know, or they're talking about depression or they're talking about, you know, one day the, the guy comes in or the girl comes in and she's just like, let's go, let's go, let's kill it today. Let's kill it. Let's go. And then the next day, completely silent, staring at their computer in a bad mood or whatever. And, you know, and maybe that person is suffering from bipolar disorder. Maybe they are. But my, my concept of bipolar disorder prior was, uh, you need to take your meds. Like, you know, whatever you, you lumped it in, I'm sure with like schizophrenia and yes, you know, psychosis and Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Right. Which is what most people do when they hear I bipolar. Did too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I don't, I don't have, I don't have bipolar, but I know people who do in addition to you guys. And so before my, any experience with that, my, my view of bipolar was largely skewed would be an understanding. Yeah, it is for most people. Yeah. Yeah, largely skewed. That's that's a that's a good way of putting that. Um, so after I left the doctor's office and I and I went and I confided in Lauren, kind of letting her know what was said and all of this other stuff, she definitely was on board with the psychiatrist thing. But I was not. I was like, here I am, here is my perspective on mental health, here is my thought process of what I thought bipolar disorder was. And honestly, it shook, it shook me and it, and it made me, you know, and not only am I not on Vivance anymore, so I'm all over the place. Like it set me in this roller coaster of emotions, feelings coming off of it, right? Coming off of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I had to quit, I I had to quit at cold Turkey. Like I was Mm -hmm. like, boom, you know, I wasn't angry, but I was very like, I'm like, I don't. I'm not bipolar. I've asked all my friends if they think that I have bipolar disorder and, and nobody, nobody thinks I do. And I don't think I do either. So I'm not going to go see a psychiatrist. And I called back, uh, like a week later and just to connect and just see, you know, what his thoughts were or anything like that. And they wouldn't let me talk to the doctor. <laughs> so apparently, um, but they did put me on hold, went to go talk to the doctor and then came back and said, yes. He's like, we can't really do anything else for you. The, the, you need to go to a psychiatrist like that. It like, we can't like, we can't. And I totally get it now why they couldn't, you know, because again, he said it's above his pay grade. So I finally relent to go into a psychiatrist and I just, tell them my story. I'm bawling my eyes out for about 45 minutes. My original consultation was 45 minutes. I am, I'm at work. Like I thought I was like, yeah, I'll just talk to this doctor. It's no big deal. And like just going through it at work, like I just, I just collapse like emotionally. And my psychiatrist, she was, she was amazing. She's exactly what I needed. Like she was heavy on the empathy, heavy on the, we're going to make sure you're okay. Like you are going to be okay. It might take us a while, 
but we we're going to figure this out and I'm going to be right here with you. Like it was exactly what I needed to hear. It was a, you know, and a lot of different psychiatrists come at a completely different, you know, some people are just insanely smart and matter of fact about it, you know, and those types of doctors are, are really great as well, you know, and, and there's, there's some psychiatrists out there that, you know, just start prescribing meds, meds and just seeing if they work and without any kind of game plan to it or whatever. And, and I know there's a mix of, you know, professionalism there, but she was exactly what I needed. And she got me on immediately. She got me on Lamictal, um, the same exact medication that, that worked for Shane. Luckily for me, you know, I, I was, well, I was actually on Cymbalta too. That was my antidepressant and it's worked great from day one. Um, and I really saw the effects of that. I, you know, just kind of, it helped, it helped me going like super low, you know what I mean? Um, and, and wasn't necessarily a stimulant in that way of just shooting me straight to the stars either. It was kind of just more of a, Oh, okay. I'm in this range now. Like, you know, it just kind of got me there a little slower. Yeah, in the range. That's the way to put it because that's that's all bipolar meds are supposed to do is just basically chop off the highs and lows. So you, you're kind of living within that in-between. Yeah, and that's what that's how she just, uh, described Lamictal to me. She was like, think, think about like mountains and valleys, right? Let's turn those to like hills. Right, and- exactly. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, it was it was really good. I I, re, I related to that uh, very well. And actually, she told me too that Lamictal is actually a seizure medication. Mm-hmm. And but in less dosage, you know, it helps with bipolar disorder because mm-hmm. it's it, it's doing something in your brain, I guess, to kind of just help with balance. Yeah, they call it a mood stabilizer. Mood stabilizer. There you go. I mean, that sounds right. Yeah. Who's to say? And so, so now I'm on this medication. I've got something, you know, to put on it. But man, it was a, it was a struggle because literally, I went from, oh, here's an ADD med that is great. Boom, mania. Come back less than thirty days. I have to quit that thing cold turkey. You need to go see a psychiatrist. It took me a couple of months to f- to finally relent to that. I go see the psychiatrist, and now I'm on this med, dude. Like my understanding of who I was was completely off the rails. I didn't know who I was. Like I, I saw like my family, I saw my work. I saw that, you know, I could be a part of all of these things, but inside I was just like stripped. And what sparked that? Was it because the meds were working and you're like, what does this mean? Honestly, regardless of the meds, I think I would have gotten in that mindset just because of my preconceived thought of the mental health issues period. Mm -hmm. And then my perception of what bipolar disorder was. And then all of a sudden now you have it. It really made me struggle big time. Cause now the definition that I had in my brain for years is now me. And I, and I did not approach that in a empathetic or, kind way. <laughs> you know what I mean? I used it as a derogatory term. It's almost like somebody told you you had a terminal illness or something. Yeah, but it's way worse. <laughs> 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 that That's horrible for me to say. That's so bad. Don't take that out of context. I'm just saying as far as like, 
you know, you know what a terminal illness is. Yes. Like bipolar is so ambiguous, right? Exactly. Yeah. Mental health stuff, bipolar disorder. I don't know what it is. I'm new to it. I don't know. I thought it was one thing. It's now this. I thought I was one way. I'm now this. And it's not like I changed in that moment. You know what I mean? I, I, my perception of myself changed and I put myself into a box that I had put other people into a box and my language into a box, you know, 20 years prior, you know, but, but through discovering that it's just like part of the reason why we're doing this podcast, it's like, get rid of that stigma. The stigma is there and it's so unnecessary. It's not helping anybody. Right? Yeah. Like that, when I hear like, Oh, they, they have bipolar disorder. Like my, like I, it, it's almost anxiety esque, but it doesn't affect me in that way. Um, like chemically, it's more just like, like my heart sinks a little bit because I, because I kind of put my place in f when I found out that for the first time, man, it, it really changed my heart, honestly, for that. And, and that led me in the understanding over the past, you know, couple of years you know, has led me to an understanding and a relationship with you guys and being able to put things to words. And that's where I, I leaned into this podcast concept. You know, not only, you know, did we do music and together and we had conversations about this real stuff, you know, that Shane, you really like discussing. I do too. It's like, why, why are we going to be shallow? There's no reason for us to be shallow, especially if there's such a historical connection that we have had. And so, yeah, I mean, the whole process was just, it just shattered, shattered my, my understanding, you know, of, of what, what I have and, and who I am. And those things didn't collide for me in that moment. You know, what I had and who I am, there, there's a missing gap here. And that gap just really pissed me off. I don't know. Does that, do you think that ever goes away? You know, I mean, I think I'll spend the rest of my life analyzing like, oh, was that decision a, a bipolar decision or was that me? You know, I think I think we'll we'll probably always have to struggle with that. I think you have to. Yeah. I think that struggle is good because it that struggle is changing. Tomorrow you will be more up or more down than you are right now. Mm -hmm. And that line moves. So there's no concrete thing that you can say it is like tomorrow's a different day and it's completely different than today. Right. And I think that's health. You know, I think that's healthy to constantly analyze. Analyzing yourself is going to lead you to, you know, wisdom about yourself, mm -hmm. about your condition. And, and some of those, and some people can take that and communicate that to others, you know, if they're gifted in that way. And I think analyzing is, the most healthy thing you could do, in my opinion, because it, it, if you don't analyze something daily, let's just let's just say I'm living my life for a year. I'm not thinking about mental health. I'm not thinking about me. I'm not thinking about my condition. I'm not I'm not going to worry about myself. I'm just doesn't that sound nice? It does sound nice until you find yourself a year later and you're not well. You know, you don't have you don't know where you are. You don't know where you are on the spectrum. You, you don't know what friendships you have completely shattered because of your, you know, you were manic one day or if you were depressed or you just had rage or 
anything like that. I mean, I went through that. I almost lost <laughs> the co-host of the podcast, like the podcast that we've had for eight years. I, I literally almost lost him as, as a friend. And, you know, and my wife was with me unconditionally during all of that, but I'm sure it was hard like for her too. You know, I got rid of, I got rid of just a lot of things, a lot of friendships. Like if you weren't with me, you were against me. And that was really hard to, to land on and find, find what that healthy balance is because there are people in your life, you know, that you probably should distance yourself from, you know, that aren't, giving you positivity or growth in your life. And so you're looking at that and then you're looking at this and it's like, is that this, is this, that like, you don't, you don't know where you are on the whole, like, am I not friends with this person anymore because it needed to happen or did I mess something up? Mm -hmm. And I was messing it up uh, through a lot of things. Especially because you're looking at it through, if you're not healthy, you're looking at, at it through that lens of bipolar and you know, this is why people do EMDR and stuff like that in therapy is to reprocess uh, thoughts like that. Because after the fact, it's even even now when I'm stable and, and I feel pretty good, pretty healthy, when I look back on memories that I have, they're, they're tinted by wherever I was on the bipolar spectrum at that time. So it's really hard to look back at things like that, like, did I mess this relationship up or, or was it, you know, bad to begin with? I didn't need that in my life to begin with. It, it's hard to make that distinction after the fact, you know, because you're, you're remembering it through this lens of depression or mania. Yeah. That's why, I, that's why I think it's important to analyze. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Constantly, because that's going to bring truth. You know, it's like, I know where I'm at right now. I'm going to know that. Tomorrow, I'm going to know that, and I'm going to look at how I'm affecting relationships. I'm going to look at how I'm communicating. I'm going to look at how I feel. I'm going to look at my support system. I'm going to look at all of these things. If I cherish those things, then I need to pay attention. Because if I don't pay attention, then anything can happen. And that's been a big part of my journey is just paying attention. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Identifying patterns. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, we've all been on our journeys and, you know, through this, through this reuniting that Shane and I did, and then I took a leave of absence from work when, you know, I was in a very dark place at that time. Again, my emotions, you know, I was hyperactive mania one day, having the, the counter of that pretty intense depression, you know, then the next day I might be in hypomania, then the next day I might be, you know, lower because I, because I'm analyzing so much of being manic, uh, me understanding that I was manic and not really me really fed my depression when it happened. Oh yeah. It put you in a vicious cycle, man. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a, it was a big cycle. Um, and I had, you know, I, I experienced, ideation. And it was a, a big deal for me at that moment. And that is when we uh, leaned even harder into therapy. I approached my psychiatrist. We adjusted some dosages kind of in the right direction. I think we ended up doubling my lamictal that 
really, really helped me. Um, but I, it probably took me probably eight, nine months to really settle from those crazy highs and lows that I was going through. In this past September, you know, when I went up to visit, well, when I took the leave of absence last year, I was like, I'm going to connect with people. Like, I need that connection. I need some older friendships, people that know me. You need to come up to Ohio and spill the beans with your best, one of your old friends who ain't going to judge you for nothing. Essentially, yeah. And so I did that with Shane. Then I flew up to Ohio uh, Joey and I were just like, man, let's record a song. Like, why not? And we, li- he, he had this like riff and we just kept developing it and talking through it or whatever. And then Shane was like, send me that. I'm going to cut drums for it right now. I think Matt might've been like really excited and it, and it all happened really fast. It was one of those. I literally like, holy crap, dude, Shane wants to cut drums to this, like in his home studio, like right now. And and Joey looks over at me. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, well, how do I do that? <laughs> <laughs> I think Joey just like, well, damn. <laughs> that was two years ago. That was the beginning of the end. I've been down a rabbit hole of trying to figure out how to record music. Since You're killing then. it. Yep. Yeah. And, um, and so about a year later, I, I, we went back up there to do the lyrics. And so we reunited under this song. We had a really good time. Like we would send the instrumental track back and forth, like for nine months, just having fun. Like, honestly, it just kind of like, Oh man, like I feel like I'm in a band, not just like, yeah, man. Oh, I wasn't. It felt like you were in a band. Felt like we were in the garage hammering out songs, but we're just doing it back and forth over the internet. Right. And then the technology difference from when we were growing up to oh, now yeah. is just, it's just insane. I'm just looking at this. I'm just cover. glad that we're able to keep up. Oh, <laughs> you know that is true. Trying. I mean, we barely do though, Joe. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I see, I see like a 70, you know, year old person in public that's got, you know, like flipping through their iPhone, calling an Uber or whatever. And I'm like, that's going to be me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Those guys are pretty cool. Um, but when we, but when we recircled up a year later in the fall and we started doing the lyrics like a year later after we got together for the music side of it and like the, you know, we, Joey and I had kind of gone through a lot of things with like in like the religion side of things, you know, perspectives of friendships and different things that we were, we were going through. And in the writing process of this, it really landed on mental health stuff. And so, you know, I'm sitting there, you know, I know what Shane's going through. I know him. Uh, he knows me. Joey knows me. I know him. And it. so we were just honest. And, you know, I, I'm not a great lyricist, but I was like, I think the tone or like maybe the messaging here could be this. And then Joey's just like, oh, yeah, you know, like then he starts making his magic happen. And that was just a really cool process. And, you know, we ended up with, with a song pretty much by the end of that. And then we, you know, we reconvened and, you know, kind of went back and forth for a little bit. And it was, it was shocking how much of that song really was our story. Yeah. I mean, you guys wrote the lyrics and just I think you had the lyrics finished by the time I heard them, and yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was listening to them, and I was like, "This is incredible, man! This is this is <laughs> this is totally my story, y'all's story." Like it was just, it was, they were perfect. 
Yeah, I think you sent that to a few of your buddies and you let them know, be like, man, this song is completely about mental health. And yeah. they were just like, man, with that mindset, this is this is pretty this is pretty killer. Yeah. And so yeah, so we we recorded a song and it's done. And ne- uh the next episode, episode two, um, you're gonna get to hear that. It's the it's the only thing that's gonna be on episode two is is the song. So people that are listening can actually enjoy that, you know, whenever they want to. Well, we hope you enjoy it. Now, is it heavy metal? No. <laughs> it is a throwback to our childhood. There's some heavy metal influence. Oh, yeah. In, sure. in the same sense that there's heavy metal influence. And you're going to hear it if you're... If pop you, punk. <laughs> yeah, you got, you got a little influence in there. It's a total throwback to the bands that we were in in high school. I mean, you know, it's... Yeah, 01, 02, 03, 04, and then, you know, after that, it kind of started shifting a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, it's... We... I mean... I wanted to make a classic song that we would have done back then. And Joey just ran with that and freaking nailed, nailed it in my opinion, as far as just the style. And it was a lot of fun to do. Like, yeah, this isn't like something that you would hear on octane on Sirius XM. You know, it's not, uh, it's not, it's not, it's not heavy at all. Really. There's like a, like a breakdown in it. Like, but that's about it. But Man, I, I loved writing that song uh, with you guys. Um, or or let me correct myself. I loved helping Joey write that song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't look at it like that, but yeah. But yeah, and so I just want to let everybody know, next episode, you're not going to hear from us, but that's just going to be the song. And then the following episode, we'll actually walk through that song more intently about the lyrics and kind of speaking into what those lyrics meant to us individually. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear that. I think it's, uh, you know, it's really going to kind of put, put you in a place to know where we're coming from, uh, from the music world and the mental health world. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. Shane and Joey, as we, as we wrap this thing up, do you have any last minute thoughts on what we've discussed today? I, I think this is a really great, it's, it's a very good introduction to who we are and how we got here. It's the kind of conversation yeah. that we would have with a stranger, <laughs> given our oversharing I mean, tendencies. Yeah. And I'm telling you right now, man, there's the, I, a lot of strangers are going to listen to this. I don't think we're going to know everybody's name. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to learning all their names. Dude, yes. And and I think that is something that we would introduce later is is some way to connect, you know, Definitely. like a Discord or something like that. Like if we can deve- if we can take like you know the mass of a Reddit but personalize it and put a bow of family on it within a Discord channel or something like that, something that's privatized a little bit and not just out in the open like that. I really would find value in that. And I think that's something that we've discussed uh, that we would potentially do not right now depending on, you know, what this looks like and, and how we feel a little bit later on. I, I think that that could be not therapy, but therapeutic for people. Oh yeah. I would love it. I would love to get to know whoever's listening to this. I would say uh final words. Yeah. If you, if any of this, if you heard any of this and you're like, Oh yeah. Or, uh, huh. Or I thought that too. Like take one tiny step. This is your sign. Take one tiny step in the direction of like, maybe I'll tell someone how I feel. Just see what happens. 
I love it. I'll echo what Joey said. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so I guess everybody's homework this week is just find somebody and tell them how you feel. Yeah. I love it, dude. Great idea. Guys, thanks for listening. Uh, episode one is in the wraps, or it's in the books. However you say that, I don't know, man. I'm a freaking redneck from northeast Georgia just wrapping it up. Wrapping, wrapping it up. up. Wrapping. Wraps. We're wrapping. That's come. Well, we'll see y'all later. We are in the wraps. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for listening. We're going to have a good time with this. Hopefully, our our soft approach or stories can help you relate and really feel like you are not alone. We love you guys. Talk to you next week.